It is a great day to be together again, and I am thankful for that opportunity. It might surprise you, I am not Mike. No, Mike is out of town today, and he, uh, he didn't tell you because he's afraid you wouldn't come. So, we're glad you're here. Today we will be looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 14, and in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 it's actually talking about the miraculous gifts that they're using. He talks about tongues, he talks about prophecy, and you go through 1 Corinthians 14 and he's talking about in that day and time, while the, the people had this ability, some were speaking in tongues and some were able to prophesy, he still gives regulations for the assembling of the saints. There are certain things that must take place. And within that day and time, there are certain applications that are very applicable to us. Now, as you go back through, to get a little context, you go back through 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians 12, he starts and he says in verse 1, he says, I don't want you to be ignorant when it comes to, to spiritual gifts. He begins his teaching on spiritual gifts. You go down through chapter 12 and it's, look, if you've got a gift... The purpose is to use it for the glory of the Lord. And so then you get down into the end of the chapter and he says, look, there's unity within us all. We have many different members within the church and there's obviously many different gifts within them. And he says, look, we use it all for the good of the glory of God. Get down to chapter 13 and he, he compares and he contrasts the love and gifts. He says, look, you've got gifts and they're great, but when the perfect is come, talking about the inspired word, talking about the New Testament, which we can read from, as you consider the love that is spoken of, it's supreme. And then you look at the gifts, he says, look, it's passing away. He says, when that which is perfect has come, that which is in part, speaking of the gifts, he talks about we prophesy in part. You go back to 1 Corinthians 13 and you read and we, we understand that the miraculous was passing away, but yet love will continue. Now you get to 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and he continues on that, that, that path as we talk about spiritual gifts. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, there's obviously some chaos that's going on. It just so happens that you get to, get to the assembly and we've got the guy over here and he says, guys, look at me. He said, I can sing really special. And then at the same time, we've got another person that stands up and let me tell you, I can speak in tongues. And he says, well, the only thing I know is hola, so we'll stick with hola. And so he starts to speak in Spanish, and everybody's like, well, I don't understand that. And then you've got someone else that's over here, and he's so impressed because he's got the, the ability to prophesy. He's able to speak on God's behalf. And so he would be speaking, and it just so happens that we've got so many people talking at once that there's chaos. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, Paul is going to rein them back in. He's going to bring them back to what's supposed to take place in the assembly of the saints. So this morning, as we look at 1 Corinthians 14, let's consider the assembly of the saints. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, we'll begin in verse 18. In verse 18, it says, I thank my God I speak with tongues more than you all, yet in the church I would rather speak five words with my understanding that I may teach others also than 10,000 words in a tongue. He closes in verse 20 or he continues in verse 20 and he says, Brethren, do not be children in understanding. However, in malice be babes, but in understanding be mature. Within the church, within the assembly of the saints, there is something that ought to take place. 
And the most important thing that we should recognize here is there needs to be understanding. If I was to come and to speak in tongues and speak in a tongue that is not known to you, what good would it be? It'd be absolutely nothing. It wouldn't do any purpose as far as helping us be a better Christian. But yet in this day and time, evidently, there were people that were able to speak in tongues and they were so proud of their ability that it's like they were ooing and aahing people. Did you just see that I had the miraculous ability to speak in tongues? And so they spoke this tongue in which they'd never studied and people could be amazed at their spiritual gift. And so Paul is going to, to redirect their line of thought as he talks about the miraculous ability to speak in tongues, you know, there's actually, there are religious groups today that would claim this, this ability to speak in tongues. And as we go through 1 Corinthians chapter 14, uh, for the most part, as far as living in America, we would see that it would be pointless. In fact, when Paul talks and he talks about speaking in tongues in verse 18, he, he said, I think I... Or Yeah, verse 18, he said, I thank my God I speak with tongues more than you all. You know, we've got these people that are able to speak in tongues and they're super impressed with it, but yet he says, I can do more of it. Not that he's proud of the speaking in tongues because what's he desire in the following verse? He desires that there be understanding. So, notice down in verse 22 and 23, when we talk about tongues, if there's not understanding, what do you have? If there's not understanding, there is no benefit to anyone. Look at verse 22. He says, Therefore tongues are for a sign. So there was a purpose. And in this day and point, this day and time where you consider they didn't open up 1 Corinthians and look at it because it's still being written. So he, they get 1 Corinthians. They don't have the whole of God's Word to look at. You know, they get their first letter. When they get the first letter of 1 Corinthians from Paul... They don't have 2 Corinthians. There's much of the Bible that they don't have, and so we have this inspiration. We have the spiritual gifts to help them to be able to learn. All right, so get down to verse 22. He says, Therefore tongues are for a sign, not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. Now you talk about the, uh, you talk about the, the religious groups today as they consider that of speaking in tongues. What was the point, point for it? It was for who? It was for the unbelievers. Who were they teaching? People that spoke a different language that didn't know. It wasn't for the assembly. It wasn't for when they came together. So he says in verse 23, he says, Therefore, if the whole church comes together in one place and all speak with tongues, and there come in those who are uninformed or unbelievers, what are they going to think? He says, Will they not say that you are out of your mind? He says, Look, those folks are crazy. I will never be back. So when you look at the, the purpose behind the tongues, the purpose wasn't to show it off, but rather it was to teach those that were without, those that were without God, those that didn't have the understanding in Christ. Notice when you get down to verse 24 and verse 25, there's a spiritual gift that, that Paul says... Earlier, he says they should desire this one. If you want a spiritual gift, he says, you better desire to prophesy. Verse 24 and verse 25, he says, But if all prophesy, an unbeliever or an uninformed person comes in, he is convinced by all, he is convicted 
by all. When you think of the word convicted, think of Acts chapter 2 when it says they were pricked in their hearts. What's that mean? It means they were convicted. They understood that this was Jesus and they just killed. All right. So in verse 24, he says he is convicted of all. The unbeliever was convicted by the person that was speaking in a language that could be understood. And in verse 25, it says, and thus the secrets of his heart are revealed. And so falling down on his face, he will worship and report that God is truly among you. So we've got one group that comes in and they say, these people are crazy. Then you've got another group when he comes in and he hears one prophesying. Now I do want to make sure that we understand prophesying. As you consider prophesying, prophesying was not The prophesying that we're referring to is not someone coming in and saying, tomorrow at 10 o'clock it's going to start to rain. Now, I'm not trying to say that. If I I remember right, there is rain in the forecast, but uh, I have no idea when it's supposed to rain. So the prophesying that took place was not saying, God told me in a dream that such and such is going to take place. And then the next day it takes place, they're like, whoa, he's a prophet. That's not the prophesying we're talking about in 1 Corinthians 14. In 1 Corinthians 14, we're talking about someone speaking on God's behalf. All right, so what I mean is they come into the worship assembly and there's someone that is inspired by God and they said, God wants you to put Him first. Seek first the kingdom. You know, maybe they didn't have Matthew chapter 6, 33 in front of them that they could read, but they could say, by inspiration, God told me or God relayed that you are to seek first the kingdom of God. So it was actually, it was speaking or teaching on God's behalf that we're talking about here in 1 Corinthians 14, uh, verse 25. And so people are amazed, people are impressed. We've got one group in verse 24 that says these folks are crazy. We've got one group in verse 25, or sorry, in verse 23, they say these folks are crazy. Verse 25, they recognize that these people are doing what God would have them to do. So when we talk about the assembly of the saints, what good is this for us? Still today, When we assemble, what does God desire? God desires that there's understanding. You know, when we come together, it's so that people can understand what God's design is for them. Now, within that part, you know, as as the one speaking, there is a, a job at hand because you've got to relay the message. Now, luckily, today... That message is given to us in the, the perfect form, as it's referred to in 1 Corinthians 13. Uh, that, that message is given to us in written form where we can all read from it. So if one is to speak on God's behalf today, how does he do it? We look in the book. We look at what God has to say. If you look at 2 Peter chapter 1, in verse 20, 21, it says, Prophecy never came by the will of men, but holy men of God spoke as they are moved by the Holy Spirit. You look, at the, you look at the New Testament today. If we are to speak by the inspired Word, then we can know who is actually the one speaking. If you look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, we saw, see all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. And so therefore the Scriptures, where we must look, 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 11 says, If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If you're going to speak, if you're going to speak up, if you're going to say something, it needs to be something that can be understood and it needs to be biblically based. It needs to come from right here. We want God to be the one speaking. 
He goes on to say, if anyone ministers, let him do it as the ability that God has given him. All right. So, there's a job for the speaker because what's the goal? We want people to understand. We want people to understand when the message is done that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. We want people to understand that God is the one that gives the regulations for the church or to the church. All right. But the job doesn't, stand, doesn't stop there because in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 where he's talking about the understanding, when one is up prophesying on God's behalf, what is the responsibility of the congregation? They've got to understand. So there's a part for the speaker, the inspired one in 1 Corinthians 14, and there is a part or a job for the listener. You know, the responsibility of understanding remains. I think back to Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17 and verse 11, you've got those in, in uh, Thessalonica. It says, these were more noble than those in Thessalonica. He's talking about the Bereans here. He says, these were more noble than those in Thessalonica. Why? What about them is noble? What about them is what God expects? It says, in that they receive the word with all readiness of mind and what? Search the scriptures daily to see whether those things were so. In part of our understanding, I would say that it doesn't stop when we get out of our pew. When we get out of our pew, rather, we continue to search, we continue to dive deep into the Scriptures to make sure what? We understand God's Word. We understand what God's design is for us as a Christian or a follower of Him. No doubt, I believe that's why we can Look at 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15 and we understand where he says, be diligent or study. He says, give diligence to show yourself approved. The idea is be active in your understanding. All right, not only do we see that in the assembly of the saints that there has to be understanding, but point number two, there has to be edification. Within God's design, the church is to be edified. Look at verse 26. Verse 26, he says, How is it then, brethren, whenever you come together, each one of you has a psalm. Remember when I talked about the person over here? We got somebody ready to sing. He said, Each one of you has a psalm. And then he says, One has a teaching. One has a tongue. One has a revelation, he says, and another an interpretation. And you go on in verse 26, he says, Let all things be done for the edification. All right, so... We've got a multiplicity of gifts spoken of here in verse 26. And he says, when you guys come together, he says, as far as the church, your purpose in coming together is to edify the building up, the encouragement of one another. You know, within God's design, not only does there need to be understanding when we come to worship, but there needs to be edification. You know, I think back over the last few months, and if there's one thing that I feel like I recognized in that time of us being separated, edification does not take place the same way when you're not here. Edification does not take place the same way when we are not able to be together. So as we think about edification, what a great joy it is to be together with fellow like-minded Christian people. 
First Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 11 says, Therefore, comfort each other and edify one another. Then he goes on to compliment them and says, Just as you are doing. He said, Comfort one another and edify one another just like you're doing. You know, within the goal of the church, as we come together, we're to build up one another. We're to push one another to be better, to encourage one another as we go out. Look, when you leave those doors and you enter the world around you, there's lots of people that want to get you on a different path. There's lots of people that, that want to drag you down, and I believe, I mean, that Satan's design is to use the world to bring down the Christians so that, look, we, we are entrapped by the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. We're entrapped in some way, and therefore we fall into sin, we give up on God, and we say, oh man, I can't be forgiven, I might as well just quit. Uh, so we see, we see Satan's got this, this hope that we'll just give up, but rather God had a design in which Christians push forward. You know, as I think about that, as I think about everything that goes on in this, this goal of people giving up, I think about Romans chapter 14 and verse 9. It says, for to this end, Christ died. It goes on to say, and rose and lived again that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. God had a design that you could find hope in Christ. Because of that, Christ died. He was buried and he was resurrected and lives still today. All right. As we talk about the, the coming together of the assembly, as we come together as a church, you know, the aim really isn't just about me. You know, it's, it's a great thing to be able to come together and to worship. And I have, have no doubt that when we come together, you know, it helps me. You know, I come together and I, I feel like I'm, I'm built up. You know, it helps me to get through the week or to make it through to, to next Wednesday where, where the saints will be back together and we can have that camaraderie. You know, I think about, about soldiers. How much easier is it to fight when you've got somebody at your side? You've got someone that you know believes in the same thing. You think about a sports team and how much easier it is for this sports team to fight stronger when he's saying, you got it, you got it. Go get them. And so as Christians, we've got our sports team. We got together on Sunday morning right now for our huddle. And we're getting ready to go out into the world and we're going to execute the play where we have to live this portion of our life amongst the world. And the goal being when we're done, we can come back together and encourage one another. All right, you go back to sports. Once in a while, people get knocked down. Once in a, once in a while, people... People don't perform the play as they were supposed to. But look at 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And as the Christians come together, they're going to edify one another. They're going to push them to get back up. To go again, because what purpose do we have? We can go forward in the work of the Lord. I think of he Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 25. The aim's really not about me, but it's about others. So a lot of times we look at the beginning of the verse and we stop there. It's like not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. And he says, well, see, you got to go to church. When you look at Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 25, don't focus at the beginning, focus at the end. He says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. you got some people that are. And he says, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. When you come together with the Lord's people, 
The purpose isn't just about you. It's not just about me, but rather we're here for our huddle. We're here to get together to encourage one another in the work of the Lord. We're to encourage one another. Look, we're fighting a fight. I believe our memory verse was fight the good fight of faith. That was a week or two ago. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life. He says, get together, edify, encourage, build up the brethren. That's one of the greatest goals of the assembly of the saints. So in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 25, he says, you exhort one another, exhort each other, exhort one another as you see the day approaching. All right, there has to be edification. Notice also in verse 28. Verse 28, he says, if there is no interpreter, we're talking back about tongues, it says that there is no interpreter, there's not somebody among you that can interpret when you speak in this fancy tongue that people can be oohed and awed by. He says there's no interpreter. He said let him keep silent in the church. He said if, if no one can understand because there's not a person there to say, well, I can interpret Spanish to English, so I'll tell you, when Jared said hola, he really meant hello. Chances are all of you knew that, otherwise I wouldn't have known it. All right, when you look at the interpreter, there had to be someone there to tell exactly what it was. Otherwise, he says, let him be silent. Don't open your mouth. Be quiet. There's no reason to talk if there's not understanding. And if there's not understanding, notice the end of verse 28, there can't be edification. All right. He says, and let him speak to himself and to God. What was the point back in verse 26? There has to be edification. So we get in verse 28, and those that were able to speak in tongues, he says, if, if it can't be understood, he said, don't do it. All right. Finally, in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, we get down to the very end. We're told, first, there must be understanding when you come together. We're told, next, there needs to be edification when you come together. And not only that, he says, but there has to be order. There has to be order. Well, without order, you would never have understanding. Without order, you would never have edification. Can you imagine if all of us stood up right now and shouted your favorite thing that took place this week? Jordan's ready. He said he'll be the only one that does it, and so therefore you'll all know what Jordan did that was really fun this week. All right, so if everybody did it at once, how much would you get out of that? Nothing. You probably don't even know what the person next to you said. And Kevin says, well, I know because I know what, what Beth did this week that she really enjoyed. Uh, well, the point is if everybody stood up and spoke something at the very same time, there would be no understanding there would be no edification and ultimately what he's talking about that that's not orderly all right now i've heard too many times people that un misunderstand the idea of orderly or what is order in first corinthians chapter 14 in first corinthians chapter 14 this has nothing to do with having a prayer and now we do two songs and then we have Scripture reading, and then we have the, the lesson, and then another song, and we have a Lord's Supper and a closing song. It has nothing to do with order in the way in which we use it as far as we're going to make sure that it's all done right at the right time. That's not how it works. 
The order that we're talking about is an orderly fashion. I think of the Apple Dumpling Gang. I don't know if you've seen it, but in the Apple Dumpling Gang, he takes that, that wood hammer, I think they call it a gavel, and he, he beats it and he says, order, order, order in the court. No one would listen, so he shoots his gun up at the ceiling and stuff starts to fall down. All right, that's order. He said, calm down. He had to shoot his gun just to get him to pay attention. Within the church, he says, in order for understanding and edification to take place, there has to be order. And so therefore, think back to verse 28. He said, if you're going to speak in a tongue and no one's there to interpret, he says, be quiet. You get down a little bit further and he says, let's look at the very end. As far as order goes, he says, let all things be done decently and in order. Do it in an orderly fashion so that you don't impair understanding. All right, chaos is going to absolutely prevent understanding and it's going to prevent edification. Look at verse 31. In verse 31, he says, But if anything is revealed to another... Sorry, I'm in verse 30. If anything is revealed to another who sits by, let the first keep silent. Look, so we've got one person speaking, and what's he say? This other person got something? Let him shout it out so that everybody hears him over the other one. No, he says, let the first one be quiet so the second one can talk. He says, it needs to be orderly so that people can hear, they can understand, and they can gather something from what God has relayed to them through miraculous gifts. All right, verse 31, he says, For you can all prophesy one by one. He says that all may learn and all may be encouraged. The goal is that the brethren are encouraged or edified. Go down to verse 33. He says, For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. God's design is that there be order. All right. As we go down through 1 Corinthians chapter 14, God's design also included that of men leading in worship. Now, you know, we get into this, this new modern day, you know, 2020, and the religious, the religious goal is, look, we want to do it our way. And, and I have no doubt, I'm sure there are women that are here today that are better speakers than I am. I'm not, I'm not arguing that. However, God is the one that by design laid out how the assembly of the saints takes place. All right, so in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, he tells those that are speaking at the same time as others. He says, hey, be quiet in verse 31. Uh, sorry, he says that in verse 28. You get down to verse 34, he said, let your women keep silent in the churches. So in verse 28, we've got the person that has tongues. They want to speak. And he says, there's no interpreter. He said, be quiet. You go down a little bit further in verse 30, you've got the person that's prophesying. Another one has the ability to prophesy. And he says, hey, I'm going to speak at the same time. He says, hey... Be quiet. There only needs to be one at a time. In verse 34, he says, Let your women keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but they are to be submissive, as the law also says. And we said, Whoa, I don't want to talk about that. Uh, <laughs> elephant in the room. All right. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, what's the point, though? God is the one that sets the rules for worship. You know, we go out into the world... And people are like, oh, you all are the crazy ones. You all are the ones that don't have women taking over. Well, you know, really God is, and I'm just following his lead. So in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, when God lays out the guidelines, I'm going to choose to follow it. I don't want to choose to fight with it. 
You know, he goes down, and I think the, the, new, the new goal is, it says in verse 34, as also the law says. So they're like, well, we're really just talking about the law. Well, no, he says, as also the law says, meaning I gave a regulation, and your law agrees with it, all right? So he says, as also the law says, and so therefore when we talk about the assembly of the saints, there has to be order. Now, understanding that the, uh, the silent in the church does not mean never a peep. Otherwise, when God tells us, sing and make melody in your heart to the Lord, it would be like, oh, well, the women can't sing? No, that's, that's not the design. The design goes to that of authority. I think of, um, well, you can look at 1 Timothy chapter 2. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 12, expounding upon the same thing, he says, I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man, but to be in silence. And we're like, wait, why is that? I don't like that. Well, if you read the next verse, God gave the answer. He says, for Adam was formed first and then Eve. And we said, but why? Well, because that's what God said. And so therefore, within God's design, we choose to follow it. And that makes the church... Different. If we're going to do what God says, let's just do it God's way. Let's not try to put our spin on it. Let's not try and make it fit what we want, but rather take what God says and live by it. Now, within this submissive role in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, this follows along with the role in the family. Within God's design, in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 5, he says, For in this manner, in former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves being a submissive, to their own husbands. It was just part of God's design. That's how it takes place. And so therefore, as Christians, the goal is let's live by it. Uh, there are so many in the world that have tried to fight, that have tried to fight God's design, but rather, why not choose to live by it? So, as he made regulations for the worship, he comes in to that of, of the women and, and them speaking, you get down further and he goes on to explain, look, verse 37, if anyone thinks himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge what I've written. Let him acknowledge what is said being, this is right. And he said, and if anyone wants to be ignorant, <laughs> you want to fight with God? He says, let him be ignorant. You go on to verse 40 and he says, in the church, in the assembly of the saints, he said, let all things be done decently and in order. All right, you bring it down to 2020. Here we sit. None of us are speaking in tongues. None of us are having this miraculous gifts, but still, what does God want? God wants us to understand. When we study God's Word, we need to strive to understand it. We've got to apply it to our life. We've got to put it into action in our lives. When we come together, the goal is that we edify and build up one another. You know, we're going to have another opportunity to get together tonight at uh, 6 o'clock. And I would say come back because Mike will be back to speak, but I can't because he won't be back. And so since I'll be here, I don't blame you for staying home. It was your choice anyways. Wednesday night, we've got another opportunity. Are we going to come together? Do we have... Do we have an opportunity to come together for the good of ourselves and the good of others? Edification? Absolutely. Do we have an opportunity? Well, as you look at opportunities, I believe uh, opportunities tied to an ability that we have creates a responsibility for each of us. When we look at 
The assembly of the saints, we're here to encourage one another, and we're here to do it in a fashion in which God gets the glory. We see order in the assembly of the saints. So the question is, as we consider the assembly of the saints, how do we, how do, we do it? How do we follow? Well, God gives the rules. God gives the guidelines. God gives the book. When that which is perfect is come, that which is in part is done away. 1 Corinthians 13. So we get down to 1 Corinthians 14. We've got these regulations on worship. And for us today, since that which is perfect is come, the holy inspired word of God, we've got to live by it. Now the question is, are you a Christian? As we talk about the assembly of the saints, we're talking about Christians. We're talking about people that have given their life to Christ. Well, what good is that? What purpose would that have in my life? You know, I mentioned Romans chapter 14, verse 9, earlier in the lesson. It says, for this end Christ died and rose. And then I, I love the next phrase, and lives. Christ beat death. Your only hope of beating death is Jesus Christ. Notice how Christ died and he was buried and he rose again. Within following that pattern as Christians, understanding that Jesus is the Christ, being willing to confess him before men, turning from sin that is in the world, turning from the world, and turning to Jesus. And then having the opportunity to edify and to build up one another. There's no doubt that we should come to a point where we say, you know what? I want to be baptized for the remission of my sins. Just as Jesus Christ, when He died, was buried in the tomb, we can be buried in the water, and Jesus Christ rose to life, we can rise to a new life. Living in a different way than we did before we were a Christian, because now we are Christ's. We chose servanthood, we chose to be His, and ultimately looking forward to the comfort of eternity. Within God's design, the opportunity is for all. You have the opportunity to give your life and to enjoy the great blessings in Him. If you haven't done it, I ask you, why not? Why not give your life to Christ where you find hope, where you find salvation, where you find forgiveness? If you haven't given your life to Christ, do what they did in Acts chapter 2. Repent and be baptized and let your sins be washed away. Please do that as we, come, as we stand and sing.